Apartments.com believes a dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because you just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but when you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit apartments.com, the place to find a place. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And welcome back to another episode of our Kardashian bonus show. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Em. Okay, you guys, we have moved on to episode seven, post Kim and Chris of the Gansevoort, post Chloe and Lamar season two. We are moving right along. It feels like things in terms of the family are really serious this season. Okay, it's kind of like we watched the entire season two of Chloe and Lamar. And not to say that nothing happened, obviously things happened, but we did that entire season recap in one episode because there was so much fluff. And here, realistically, we probably will get through the first two episodes. It's not like the first one requires a scene by scene analysis, but in terms of the actual topics they're discussing, like it was getting kind of heavy kind of quickly. Right, well, I think that you probably at the time go into the season expecting that Kim is going to talk about the divorce. And presumably because of the divorce proceeding, she wasn't able to. And so what ends up happening, instead of zoning in on what you think they're going to zone in on, they really zone in on the issues happening within the family. Like there's a lot of stuff with Caitlin and Chris. You really see the end of their marriage creeping up in a way that you haven't before. There's a lot of stuff with Chloe and Chris, a lot of stuff with Courtney and Chris. And you also now, for us watching, have it in the back of our minds of things with Lamar are about to get pretty serious too. I know. I mean, I was saying that to you though, that in 2012, I don't remember what I felt when I put on this season and if I thought Kim was going to discuss the Chris Humphrey situation, because if you did think that, you really got robbed. I mean, she mentions it and then it's as if you were not just living with them in the Gansafort and did not see the absolute deterioration of this marriage. What's also interesting is the timeline of, of this season where it airs May 20th, 2012 and the season finale is September 16th, 2012. It's a very long season. I think this is the most episodes that we've we've gotten. But what's interesting is that Penelope is born July, 2012. So the episodes are airing before the season's even done being filmed because the season finale of September 16th, 2012 is Penelope being born. Right, talk about some shit that would never happen nowadays. No, I wish it would. No, I mean, that would be a dream, but the level of curation that goes into anything Kardashian now, it's just not even comparable to what was going on in 2012, even though I do vividly remember watching season seven at the time and saying to myself, wow, like they've really leveled up. You know, when you were watching and this was your first time experiencing this with the family, it really felt like they were in a whole other league than they were, you know, when you had been watching just a few years before. Listen, I can't say this for sure, but I have to imagine that the whole concept and idea of Chris pushing narratives and doing things for the show had to have started with season seven because 
For Kim and Kanye to have started dating April 2012 and the show to premiere in May 2012, coming fresh off of the divorce from Chris Humphreys, like that is some current Chris Jenner level shit. And I have to imagine that this is the very first time that people were tuned into that, whether they were fully aware of that or not. Well, right, because coming up in this season, obviously we're not there yet, is Kanye's first introduction to the show as a potential love interest for Kim. When we saw him the last time and he was walking into Dash, they were just friends. I mean, according to him, he always had a thing for her, but it was definitely presented platonically. Whereas what we are going to start to see, and I haven't even rewatched these episodes yet because we really do watch them right before we record, is like the rest of the family kind of wondering, hmm, what's going on with Kim and Kanye? Which was such a fun journey to follow the first time around and will be equally as fun this time around. I just think that this season factually was so pivotal for them in terms of their fame. But even in the first two episodes of it, without that much really happening, in like in the grand scheme of things, you can tell that it feels like a pivotal season. You could tell it really feels like the start of this next chapter of their lives. And maybe it's because they're hour-long episodes and there's 18 episodes in a season. And so you can see they're really being given that airtime. But also you know, everything we discuss in terms of what's about to come into their lives and what we're about to see. And also Kendall and Kylie are older now. They're really starting their journey. And so I don't know, this season like really was a pivotal, pivotal time for them. Yeah. I mean, something Kim has said numerous times before, but I think specifically, I remember her saying it in the reunion with Andy Cohen. It's like, yes, it was her and Chris that really had this vision of what they wanted for their lives and for their family in terms of success and fame. But she also said, you know, I knew from a reality TV perspective, I was significantly more boring alone than I was with my family. She's like, I knew that we needed all of us if we really wanted to blow this thing up. And when you see a season like this, even just the intro to a season like this, it just hits you how much is going on because we're coming off of them in New York, which was really focused around Chris, Kim, Courtney, and Scott, with of course some visitors here and there. And then Chloe and Lamar, which as we spoke about, was really focused on Chloe and Lamar with some of the other family members coming in. But a season like this really brings you back to just the chaos of the Kardashian-Jenner family as a whole. And Kim and Chris were both just so right when they said like, we needed all of us in order to really make this a thing because they did. They totally did. And I think that in Kim's mind, the original concept for how that was going to work was that Kim would always be the star and everybody existed to kind of make her look more entertaining and show off this insane family dynamic. I think the part of it that Kim couldn't have fully predicted is how invested we would get in everybody else's lives. The way we felt about Chloe and Lamar's relationship, the way that we followed Courtney and Scott. Like, I think that the extent to which we cared and followed and invested our time and energy into those things was a little bit of a surprise for her. I think it was a little bit of a surprise for us. It was definitely a surprise for us. Although I knew from day one, I was going to be invested in Scott Disick. I knew from day one that I was going to be a lifelong supporter of Kim Kardashian. I did not expect to be this emotionally invested in the happenings of Chloe's life. I know. I know. Like Nothing could have prepared me for the rage I would feel towards Tristan Thompson. You know, like it was it, it, just... I mean, we talk about this constantly. I know, like forget about it on the podcast, even just when we're walking, we're like, how fucking crazy it is that we care so much. But like, we care so much. No, we care too much. We care too much. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say too much. Um, um, we made a career out of it. Well, okay, you want to care less and not have a podcast? No, I don't want to care any less. I'm not saying that we should care less. I am just factually saying that we probably care too much. But I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not citing that as a negative. Okay, okay. 
too okay a, a positive too much how, how you like that yeah i love an excess of things so do you you're talking to the queen of abundance baby uh, and don't i fucking know it <laughs> Okay. So what we're going to do, we're going to do episode one and episode two. Episode one, like we have it written scene by scene, but as we were just discussing these before we went on, we're not doing it scene by scene. The, the, some of this stuff is just too fluffy for its own good. And really the key focus here is two things. Number one, the aftermath of Chris's book release, where not only what she mentions in the book about the affair, but then also some of Robert Kardashian's exes coming out with allegations around Chris cheating on him and how that then brings up questions as to Chloe's paternity and Chris really wanting her to follow through with the DNA test. And then number two, kind of the more general plot line that will weave its way through this entire season of, to put it in the simplest terms, Chris and Caitlin just pretty much fucking hating each other. Oh God, they really hate each other. It was hard to watch. I mean, I know that this was dramatized for the show, obviously, but when Chloe says to Caitlin, like, listen, we're in Dallas. You can use the house whenever you want. I wonder if Caitlin ever took her up on that non-televised. Like it, it was, to me, the energy that I was receiving from watching this was like, wow, if they could figure out a way to never be in the same house, that would probably be their preferred method, which obviously they did figure that out in a more finalized way. But I'm saying if they could stay married and just never have to interact, like that would have been best case scenario for both of them. Well, if you remember when they first separated, that was initially the plan. Caitlin was going to go to the Malibu house. Chris was going to stay in Calabasas and they were going to try and stay married, but in two separate homes. And they quickly realized that that just wasn't what either of them wanted. But yeah, I mean, and even in, in this first episode, Caitlin cues us into something that we had never heard before, which is Caitlin saying that they're not even really sleeping in the same room. Very Courtney and Scott coded. Well, Scott and Caitlin then bond over that fact. Which like in retrospect is just so crazy to think about. Well, that was the thing in this episode that stuck out to me, not the most, but was one of the main things where you really, I know we say this every single season in terms of the way that Scott has bonded with the family and the way he's come to really appreciate them. But what you see in these episodes is Caitlin is on her own in Chloe and Lamar's house and Scott's coming over for the sole purpose of just hanging out with Caitlin. Two seasons ago, that would have never happened. They could hardly stand to be in the same room. And now all of a sudden, Scott's taking time out of his day to willingly and wantingly hang out with Caitlin and talk about their shared problems together. And the biggest plot twist in that is that Caitlin is gladly accepting it. You know, a few seasons ago, Scott was basically this freeloader that was tanning in their backyard, whereas now... And what we have seen is Scott's true integration into the family. Not to say that doesn't come with a lot of bumps, which we will go through as this season and other seasons progress, but Scott's in. Yeah. Oh, Scott is so in. Especially Courtney's pregnant with baby number two. Like they are now realizing Mason is not a one-off. It's not like they just so happen to get pregnant and, you know, then she's going to throw him to the curb. Like, no, Scott is the father of her children and will continue to be. And I think that awareness also really just shifted, you know, Chris and Caitlin's perspective on him. Well, I think that's what it had been up until this point where they had kind of had this mindset of like, oh, we're pretty stuck with Scott. So we like, if you can't get out of it, get into it. This season with Scott, at least so far, very much feels like, oh, we don't need to try and get out. We have no, we actually like really like Scott. We enjoy his presence. We want to be around him. We like what he brings to the table. He's a very calm and rational voice in the midst of a lot of chaos, especially when he himself is in a really good place. So the weather is finally getting a little warmer. And one of the most fun parts about the season changing is kind of the wardrobe revamp that comes along with that. 
And if you're looking to update your wardrobe without spending a fortune, I want to introduce you to Quince because I really think that they do quality essentials kind of better than anyone I found. And I've told you guys about them before, but specifically as the weather is getting warmer, their linen dresses, like such an easy throw on, so comfortable, such good quality. To me, if you put on a linen dress with a pair of white sneakers, a little cardigan over your shoulders, to me, that is such a chic look. Also, their washable silk blouses. They are so comfortable, but you look so put together. They have great like scoop neck t-shirts, just comfortable, easy staples. Like that is what I like about them. I think that you can really build just a quality wardrobe collection with their essentials. And the best part is that all Quinn's items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes those savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm rather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. So Mother's Day is coming up and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen and... Every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, so as I mentioned earlier, the main plotline of this episode really is Chris wanting Chloe to take a DNA test to prove once and for all that Robert Kardashian is her biological father. Like I said, this was sparked not only from Chris writing about the affair in her book, but also after the fact, some of Robert's exes came out with these allegations against Chris in terms of affairs she had around the time that Chloe would have been conceived. And that's really when the press just took it and ran with it. And so throughout the episode, we see Chris toying with the idea of getting a formal DNA test done. And at the end, when they're all at her house for family dinner, she has someone come in and she pretty much offers to Chloe to do the DNA test on the spot, which Chloe refuses and has a very emotional reaction to, understandably so. But what I think is interesting to focus on for a second here is the way the rest of the siblings reacted to this in that obviously everyone is mostly focused on making sure Chloe is her most comfortable, but Courtney is coming at it from the angle of like, I am on team Chloe. So whatever Chloe wants and whatever's going to make Chloe feel most comfortable, that's what I'm doing. If she doesn't want to do it, I fully respect that choice. Whereas it's not that Kim doesn't feel that way, but what Kim is saying is, yeah, Chloe may say that she's okay with this, but she calls me hysterically crying saying, please just tell me dad is really my dad. And so I think if you were to look at the rest of the siblings, everyone's number one priority is making sure that Chloe feels comfortable given the trauma that is the questioning as to who her father is. At the same time though, I would say Kim is the most closely aligned with Chris of like, hey, let's just do this. Let's get it done. We can put it out there and then you can breathe easy. Well, aside from the fact that 
Kim can really hear the hurt in Chloe's voice because she was the one that got the call from her hysterically crying about this. I also think that Kim tends to gravitate more towards protecting Chris than Chloe and Courtney do. And so Kim is really seeing the effect and the toll that this is taking on Chris. And that's also causing her to have a certain amount of sympathy and a certain amount of drive to protect Chris and to get this situation handled than Courtney herself is feeling. Courtney is solely focused on Chloe here. Well, this really comes up in the next scene when Kim and Chris go to lunch because Chris is distraught over this whole thing. She's saying in her confessional that she didn't sleep at all last night. She's so stressed. And really what she wants to do is go to lunch with Chloe so that her and Chloe can talk it out. And when she's sitting down with Kim talking about it, what Kim says to her is like, listen, obviously Chloe has her own insecurities with this. And yes, this is weighing on her, but like, it's also weighing on you because you don't like the people are saying this about you. It's not just about Chloe. And it was almost like Kim gave her the permission to say, yes, of course, as a mother, I am so upset that my daughter is in pain and it's pain that I feel like I have caused, but also I don't like that I'm being thought of in this way. And that's when Chris says in her confessional, I wish that Chloe would let me prove it to her that Robert Kardashian is her biological father, not only for her, but for me too, because it really feels lousy when you feel like your children might doubt you. Again, I feel like this whole interaction with Kim gave Chris permission to be able to say, not only it's upsetting because of the public viewing her in a way that wasn't true in terms of affairs that didn't exist, but also her feeling like somewhere there with some of her kids, there is that doubt. And that's something that I think she really wants to be vindicated from. Well, I think that Kim's point in this was basically saying like, you can't force Chloe to do this and pretend that it's only for Chloe's benefit because it is also for yours, which is okay. But I think it's a very interesting understanding of the dynamic between Kim and Chris, and then also Courtney and Chris, which is what I was kind of saying before in terms of Courtney being solely focused on Chloe in this, where when Kim picks up on the fact that Chris is kind of doing this for herself as well, Kim kind of gives her permission to be able to do that. Whereas for Courtney, that would be even more reason to tell her that she can't force Chloe to do that. That wouldn't cause her to have sympathy for Chris. It would cause her to be even more mad at Chris for forcing Chloe to do this. Well, just wait till the next episode. I mean, that really comes to a head. I almost feel like next episode is a concentration of so much of the Courtney-Chris dynamics we talk about. I think it was our first real understanding of them. Probably, yeah. It's, it's so hard now rewatching because we've been rewatching this entire time with that in the back of our minds because we know it. But yeah, I guess if you're watching this for the first time, meaning the Kardashians from season one, maybe that is the first time you have that deep understanding of, of that at play. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so the last scene of this episode is between Chloe and Chris, where Chris really wants to talk about this with Chloe seriously. And what she's saying in her confessional is that she sometimes feels with Chloe when she attempts to bring up these serious conversations that if Chloe's not hearing what she wants in the first few minutes, she'll tune Chris out. And she feels like she's a really hard time getting through to her. Which, by the way, is a total side note, is why we say that the progression of their relationship from 2012 to 2023 is so shocking. Whereas Kim to Chris... Yeah, 11 years, pretty similar. Just the stakes are higher now. It's on a larger scale, but their dynamic is very similar. Whereas for Chloe and Chris, this type of conversation was not something that happened frequently or seamlessly. And now now they literally removed the property line between their houses. By the way, imagine telling a 2012 Chloe that she was going to remove the property line between her house and Chris's house. I think she would think it was absolutely crazy, but I think in the back of her mind, she would know that there is crazier, which would be, which would be Courtney and Chris removing the property line of their house. 
Right. It's like never say never, but that's one we can pretty confidently say never. Anyway, this episode concludes with basically Chris writing Chloe a letter because she just needs to get her thoughts and feelings out. She knows Chloe is not going to want to listen. She hands her this letter. Chloe reads it. And in her confessionals telling us what it says, which is basically Chris reflecting on Chloe's upbringing from her perspective, but also from Robert's perspective and saying, you know, how happy Robert was when Chloe was born and how he gave his mother all of the credit for Chloe being blonde. And really her saying, I am deeply asking you to take this test. Yes, for your sake, but also for my sake so that we can all put this behind us. And Chloe comes downstairs and basically says, I appreciate the letter. I need you though to respect my decision not to do it, which Chris does. They have like a beautiful conversation where they agree to put it behind them. And the episode concludes with Chloe saying in her confessional, what my mom needs to truly understand is that I don't have a doubt about who my family is. I've had a blessing of having two phenomenal fathers and I don't need a DNA test to prove that to me. I was glad to see them put this DNA test behind them because it was something Chloe so clearly did not want to do. But also as a side note, I think something that is so interesting in terms of dynamics and relationships is the fact that anytime Chloe talks about who her quote real father is and this whole mess that has been created by the media, she always references Caitlin in that as well. She always says, I've had two incredible dads. I know who my dad is. I know who my stepdad is. And I think to be having as serious and difficult of a conversation as having to prove that your biological father is your father and then also include your stepfather in that for like a show of that also being your father is to me, that's just like the most respect you could have for another person. Right. Which is why as we go through the season and Chris and Caitlin just progressively dislike each other more and more, I want us to pay close attention to Chloe specifically, all of the kids, but specifically Chloe, because I think it hit for her in a little bit of a different way than it did for the other Kardashian kids, obviously Kendall and Kylie aside. Right. And more than just paying attention to Chloe and how she's handling this and reacting to it, I also think that it's interesting to pay attention to the way that Caitlin is leaning on Chloe. For example, in this episode, Caitlin goes over to Chloe and Lamar's house while Chloe and Lamar are in Dallas. The reason that that comes to be is because Caitlin calls Chloe to come to her for support. Caitlin feels very neglected, feels very ignored, feels not just that Chris isn't paying attention to her, but nobody in the family is really paying attention to her and nobody cares if she's there or not. And the one person who Caitlin feels like she can call and feel seen and supported and heard by is Chloe. Well, right. And also I know that what you're saying is that Caitlin's issues were more general. Like it wasn't only Chris specific. However, a lot of it was focused on Chris. And if there's one person at this time in the family that's gonna be down to hate on Chris with the exception of Courtney, because with Courtney, it's almost like a little bit too much, but (laughs) be down to come for Chris in a way that feels kosher. Like it's obviously Chloe. You're not going to Kim in the heat of your frustration with Chris. Right, exactly. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. 
And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. Okay, so I want to talk cookware for a second because I haven't told you guys about this company and I recently tried their products and I fully understand the hype now. So they're called Great Jones and they make really high quality, thoughtfully designed cookware that also happens to be beautiful. Like I know it's kind of a weird way to describe cookware, but you'll see what I mean when you go on the website. In terms of colors, they have your classic black and white, but they also have pinks, greens, yellows, blues, just like really vibrant, fun colors. And everything is non-toxic. So they have, you know, Dutch oven, ceramic dishes, non-stick sheet pans. Everything is non-toxic to me. That's huge. And we all know, like, I'm not the biggest cook, but I have my staples. And I got originally from them the Fry Family, which is the eight and 10 inch ceramic non-stick pans. And they're just great. I got them in the white because that matches the best with my kitchen. I love cooking on them. And I also, I know, again, it sounds kind of weird, but I love the way they look in my kitchen. And the thing is, once you get these, you're going to want to get them for your friends. So they make incredible gifts for weddings, housewarming parties, birthdays, whatever occasion you need. It's a great gift. Upgrade your kitchen and replace those old rusted hand-me-downs with bold, beautiful, long-lasting pieces from Great Jones. Get started today at greatjones.com and get an extra 15% off your first order with promo code CBC. That's greatjones.com, promo code CBC. Okay, so moving on to this next episode, the first real scene is Courtney and Mason at lunch with Chris. And Chris makes a comment on Mason wearing a pink shirt and pink sunglasses. And Courtney responds that she feels like Chris always has something to say about the way that Courtney is doing things with Mason or otherwise. And she gets so annoyed at herself because she sometimes feels like she acts that same way towards Scott, the same way that she gets annoyed at Chris for acting towards her. And Chris basically says like, what, is that such a bad thing to have similar things and mannerisms to your mother? And Courtney's like, I'm not saying that it's a bad things, but I just so happen to have gotten some of your bitchy and annoying qualities. And in Chris's confessional, she kind of sets us up for this episode by saying, Courtney has always been my toughest critic. And ever since I wrote my book, it seems to really be bringing up a lot of emotions for everyone involved. And so again, we we know about this, of course, because we're rewatching, but if you were watching for the first time, you're really getting clued in as to some of the history here, because even Chris makes a comment saying that she was at the Babyface concert and she saw one of the contestants of The Voice and he was crazy hot. And Courtney responds, did you bone him there in the bathroom? It's not like it would be such a shock. And Chris says, Courtney, I've been married for 21 years. She goes, it's not like that stopped you before. And in her confessional, Courtney is saying that because of everything that has come out in light of the book, she feels like she's back in that phase of being really bothered by Chris and just finding everything that she does and says to be annoying and inappropriate. Something that I love about Courtney, which is like a funny concept as I'm saying it, but she actually is very serious about it in this episode, which is she has this constant level of self-awareness. And then beyond that level of self-awareness is the complete awareness of knowing what she's doing wrong and then consciously choosing to do it anyway, 
which you then see her start to get upset with in like the aftermath of that. But everything she does in this episode or any time where you're like, oh, you kind of cross the line there or, or like, oh, I don't love that you said that. She's so consciously aware of the fact that she's doing it and doesn't necessarily love the fact that she's doing it either. Well, I mean, she's very conscious of how some of these things manifest themselves. And specifically when it comes to this episode, it's like, this is, I'm not going to say it's the height, but this is certainly a high point for Courtney's disapproval of Chris. And so when you're already operating at such a high level of disapproval and kind of like frustration with this person, when you then add on this like, holy shit realization that some of the things you may dislike about yourself come from that person, it's like a lot to process. Like I feel like she's almost overwhelmed by her annoyance of Chris. And then on top of it, it's like, I literally can't escape this because I'm now doing said thing. Well, what it is too, is now looking at her relationship with Travis and seeing the breaking of that pattern where the thing that she says in this scene is like, I see myself doing this with Scott too. Like you critique everything that I do. And then I critique everything that he does. And I think that in addition to that, she also critiques everything that Chris does. And so I think that was almost like a factory setting for her. Like, I think she just assumed her critiquing of everybody around her and making these little comments was just what she did. And I think that very clearly in her relationship with Travis, and especially from what we've seen, that seems to not be the case. And I feel like that was a very conscious pattern that had to be broken and maybe something that really cued her into this relationship with Travis really being something special because she found herself not having to do that for the first time. Yeah. That's like a whole other subject that I would love to deep dive, but Getting back to this, so this next scene, Kim and Courtney are at lunch and they get on the subject of Dash and Chris potentially coming to look with Courtney at some spaces, which as a side note, that's kind of another plot of this episode. Courtney just feeling as though Dash has really become her main priority in a way that it isn't for Chloe and Kim and figuring out how they're going to navigate that. In the scheme of things, it's not really worth mentioning, but just so you know, that's also happening. But anyway, in this conversation with Kim, when Courtney's saying, I don't know, mom's just been annoying me so much. And what Kim is saying to that is that she feels Courtney has kind of always had these issues with Chris. And Courtney's response to that is, I have, but they kind of have been able to lie dormant. And then with this book coming out, it really stirred up some shit. And what Kim says in her confessional is, I think my mom writing this book and being so candid has just brought up these feelings that I think Courtney thought weren't necessary. Courtney and I were the only ones old enough to really understand what was going on. Courtney just took it the hardest. Courtney can never understand now, having her own child, what it would be like to have an affair at this stage in her life as a mom. And it then flashes back to footage of Chloe saying that she had no idea why Chris and Robert had gotten a divorce until Courtney told her that Chris cheated on him. And Chloe was saying that Courtney said to Chloe, do you still like your mom? Which obviously I know that's throwback footage. It's not like that conversation is happening right now, but holy shit. I mean, talk about a sentence that could spark some serious analysis. Well, I also don't think that we had ever seen that footage before. I don't think so either. What it also does is really illustrate this point of we are now getting a completely different understanding of the family dynamics that we had ever gotten before because now we're really flashing back. We're really getting into what happened in their childhood, what certain resentments are still there, how they all feel about it. Yes, these are all things that had been mentioned before. We obviously saw the scene with the medium in Courtney and Kim take New York. And that really got into some of the stuff with Robert and their childhood. But I mean, this is the first time that we're understanding very, very complex dynamics of all of the siblings, the way, you know, they felt about the divorce, the age they were at, the way that manifests now, the way they treat Chris. I mean, this is a lot of stuff 
besides just an unseen scene that we have never fully gotten before. Well, but and it's also the understanding that like they are now reprocessing this at a time when they themselves have families. Like it's one thing for Courtney to have this resentment towards Chris prior to her becoming a mother. Now that she has become a mother and this is being re-brought up, she's handling it, not, not handling it necessarily, but processing it in a totally different way because she's able to put herself in the position of being a mom, which was not something that she could have done originally up until this point. And especially not only does she have a child, she's also pregnant with a child. Like if, if anything, Courtney's extent of putting herself in Chris's shoes at the time of the affair has never existed the way that it does in this moment in time. Right. And another angle that Courtney is coming at this from is the understanding that her own relationship isn't so perfect. I mean, yes, her and Scott are in a really great place and they're having another child together and they ended their time living in New York on a really, really positive note and maybe the best place in their relationship that we had seen them be in. But she is approaching and having this resentment towards what Chris did from a place of knowing what it's like to not be in a perfect relationship and still not doing that or still not being able to understand. And I think that's also where this resentment for Chris comes from because it's not like, oh, I'm in such a good relationship, but I can't fully understand the perspective of having a problem and then needing to work through it. It's like, I know exactly what it's like to have a problem and I know exactly what it's like to not solve it that way. Well, and Kim kind of says that to her because she's saying, you know, I think that mom now realizes that couples go through things, but they stay married and they work it out. And she's like, I think that you are someone that will stay in a relationship for 10 years, even if you're miserable. To which Courtney responds, I'm not miserable. And in her confessional, she says, I've definitely talked to my mom about her affair before. And I'm not saying that my mom was being selfish on purpose, but I think her actions were definitely selfish. And Kim says to her, you have this resentment towards mom, and maybe it would be good for you to sit down and talk about these things. And Courtney responds, I would rather die. Like the most, like literally the most classic. I know. Okay, this next scene with Chloe and Kim is short, but there's a lot packed into it because they're video chatting. Kim's kind of filling in Chloe just about what's going on with Courtney. And she's saying, you know, she's being so crazy. She's being so mean to mom all over again ever since she wrote the book. And Chloe responds, why does she hate her so much? I don't get it. Which they then discuss the divorce and Courtney's feelings around it. And Chloe's saying, you know, you really can't judge someone until you've walked in their shoes. And no one knows exactly what happened between mom and dad, except for mom and dad, which Kim feels similarly. But I just want to go back to that line for a second when Chloe says, you know, why does she hate her so much? I don't get it. It's like, obviously, factually, Courtney doesn't hate Chris. And it's not that Chloe is actually saying Courtney hates Chris, but they all have shared frustrations around Chris, yet, both Chloe and Kim and the rest of them can acknowledge that Courtney's frustrations or resentments or whatever you want to call it towards Chris are different. It's like, oh, we're just like annoyed with her because like she's our mom and sometimes she's annoying. It's like the way she feels, that's some other shit. But what you so clearly see is that they all have this baseline frustration with with Chris at times, which is a very normal mother-daughter dynamic to happen. But when when Kim and Chloe get annoyed with Chris, it doesn't have this feeling of like, okay, it's this level of annoyance on top of years and years of resentment. Whereas what they're picking up on or they've always picked up on with Courtney a lot of the times, what she's saying to Chris, yes, is the same baseline annoyance that Chloe and Kim feel, but with a lot harsher words and a lot harsher thoughts behind them. 
Right. Listen, part of it is history and part of it is also topic specific. Like what we are talking about here just so happens to be the thing in Chris and Courtney's entire relationship that hits her the deepest. Whereas if we were having a conversation like we have had in previous episodes about the way that potentially Chris's actions contributed to Chloe's negative body image, like that's a different conversation with what we're talking about here, specifically the divorce and what transpired after that, that is a huge trigger for Courtney. And so it's the baseline frustrations coupled with the history of one of the most traumatic events in her life. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of a throwaway line in the scene that I did just want to mention. Kim is showing Chloe an old picture of herself. And she's like, it was so cute when I used to dress myself and do my own hair and makeup and just be a normal person. And Chloe goes, now we try too hard. And Kim says, we try way too hard. It's so embarrassing. I'm obsessed with that. I love I have nothing to say. I just loved it. Uh, like same. Also, by the way, if you guys only knew, like here doing their own hair and makeup and dressing themselves still felt like a recent memory. You know, yes, it isn't the case anymore, but they vividly remember that. Whereas now I don't even think Kim would know how to do her own makeup, like legit makeup for an event. No, their version of doing their own makeup is having Kylie do their makeup. Which by the way, not the worst gig. No, not at all. Doing your hair has the potential to be such a time-consuming process if you're not using products that really work for you, and honestly really work with you. And for me, I'd say generally speaking, my hair is pretty easy to manage, but it does get frizzy. I have a lot of split ends, so I'm always looking for things to manage the frizz. And recently I've been into a new product from Way. It's their anti-frizz cream. So it's a really lightweight cream. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours and also heat protection up to 450 degrees. So you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. And the thing I really like about it is that it helps reduce and repair split ends while quenching dry hair with intense hydration. So you can feel like it just feels good on your hair. For me, I get out of the shower. I always spray in the leave-in conditioner. I've told you guys about that before, but I love it. A little anti-frizz cream and you're good to go. I also, I mean, I love a lot of things from Way, but I like their detox shampoo. I don't use that every week, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, but I feel like it gives my hair a really, really good clean. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code CELEBS for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code CELEBS. 50 high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. A side plot of this episode, which is worthy of discussion, but obviously pales in comparison to the Courtney and Chris situation, is that Kendall and Kylie are newly West Coast contributors for Seventeen Magazine. And part of their job is basically to go out in public in LA, approach strangers, and basically try to recruit them for a modeling position with Seventeen. And this is happening at a time where Number one, I mean, it's a very, very big deal for them. You can see it's something that they felt really excited about. But also, this is coming at a time when Kendall's social anxiety is at an all-time high. Kylie's really is not. I mean, as we know, it's not really something Kylie has ever voiced struggling with. And typically, 
we see them in situations that they are inherently comfortable with. A lot of the filming that has taken place of Kendall and Kylie thus far has been in the home at family events. You know, we haven't followed their lives in this type of a way other than, you know, Kendall going to New York for modeling and a few things here and there. So here, what we're seeing is like literally them in Malibu, just on the street, going up to random strangers. And you're really seeing the way that for Kendall, this is like a painstaking task. A conversation we always have when doing these recaps is, and usually it applies to much bigger plot points than this, but is saying that I wish that I could remember what I felt or what I thought the first time I watched a certain scene. I can so vividly remember watching this scene of Kendall and Kylie in Malibu trying to recruit people for Seventeen Magazine and Kendall being so shy and unable to do it. And I remember very consciously thinking, and I think for the first time, like, you're Kendall Jenner. And I think that previous seasons and previous episodes, anything she was doing, I didn't have that understanding or that view of her. She was just their little sister. And this was the first time that I can remember consciously thinking like, oh, you're Kendall Jenner. And then it was so shocking to me to see her being shy and kind of unable to do this thing that Kylie was so easily able to do. Their relationship, like always, even still to this day, fascinates me. But when you watch them from an early age, you have such a clear understanding as to the way that it's developed. And that in a lot of ways, it was almost like Kylie took on the role of older sister in certain circumstances because in situations like this, when they were out of their comfort zone, she just felt more comfortable. Like she just factually did not have social anxiety or anxieties in the way that Kendall did. And so a lot of the times, yes, part of what we saw is just Kylie doing things maybe that Kendall didn't want to do, but also Kylie taking on the role of comforting her and showing her that it's all going to be okay. Not necessarily right here. Actually, in this scene, we almost see the opposite where Kylie's pretty critical of her. And it's not until later on when Kim kind of turns things around and explains to Kylie that she has to be a little bit more supportive. But like, there's a lot of times where if you didn't know the age difference, and maybe if they looked a little bit more similar in age, you would probably think that Kylie was older. Yeah, I think that's certainly it. And then also in terms of expanding upon their dynamic is in this episode, we really see the way that Kim is getting closer with them and Kim is able to really connect to them as they're getting older. And so for Kim herself to see them taking on these opportunities and these jobs and working really hard at that age, that's when Kim is really like, oh, these are these are people now. They're not just my little sisters. It's like, she's also at the exact same time that we're having the understanding of like, this is Kendall and Kylie Jenner. She's having that too. Well, the other thing with Kim's involvement in it all, which I know I'm kind of skipping ahead here. I just want to do this scene of Kim and Kylie and we can then get back to the Chris and Courtney of it all. But basically, yes, what you said, Kim is having this realization of like, Kendall and Kylie being Kendall and Kylie in terms of the way the public receives them, no longer just her little siblings. But also she has this unique understanding of what it's like to be in a sibling dynamic that is also in the public eye. And when Kylie's kind of complaining to her about the model scouting and feeling as though she had to do all the work because Kendall was shy, Kim's not just giving her any advice. Kim is giving her advice from the perspective of having been Kendall. And she's saying, you know, I used to be so shy and I was able to hide behind it because Courtney and Chloe were so outspoken. And she's like, but you know, they helped me get out of my shyness. And we all just have to figure out our strengths and weaknesses and then kind of meet in the middle. And what Kylie's saying in her confessional is like, you know what, Kim's right. I, it's not fair for me to be mad at Kendall for being shy. I so much prefer working with her. Like we bring out each other's personalities and I'd rather do with her because it's so much more fun. But like that's advice that Kim is uniquely qualified to give. 
Right, which by the way, connects to the earlier point of Kim knowing that on her own, she isn't as entertaining as she is with everybody together. It's not just that they bring out this side of her. It's that she can understand their strengths and how that then applies to her and how it applies to fame. And so like, it's one of those things where like, the proof is literally in the pudding. It's not just these events that we used to do and we used to do these talks and Courtney and, and Chloe being there really brought out the side of me that was that allowed me to confront my shyness. But like, I am literally looking at them and understanding what I can and can't do without them, which is exactly what you and Kendall need to be doing as well. Right. And think about how that I'm sure has really stuck as their careers and their fame have progressed. Right. Anyway, back to Courtney and Chris. So they're at Courtney's house for family dinner and Chris is kind of like harmlessly flirting with Courtney's chef and Courtney's just not having it. She feels it's really inappropriate. She's very embarrassed and they're kind of bickering back and forth. And Chris says in her confessional, like, I'm just sick of these little comments and digs from Courtney. And Chris basically pulls Courtney aside and is like, I need to talk to you. And Chris is saying to her, like, I am just so sick and tired of you saying these rude comments to me in front of other people. And Courtney's response is, listen, you were the one that brought up all of these feelings I have again with your book. And she then says to Chris, I don't understand how you could do that to your family. She says, I didn't do something on purpose to specifically hurt you or your siblings. I was too young and stupid to make a good decision. If I had to do it all over again, obviously I wouldn't do it, but you're going to punish me for the rest of my fucking life for something I did 25 years ago. Courtney responds, that's not something I would do. And in her confessional, Chris says, I never would have thought in a million years that Courtney would still be blaming me for something I did 25 years ago. I'm really just stunned that this is still where we are. We're stuck in this really awful place. And Chris says, you don't think I realized who I hurt by my actions? I've paid a price for what happened to me in my life, and I would hope that none of you have to go through the same things I went through. Courtney says, okay, I don't want to keep talking about this. I don't relate to it. I don't understand it. So for me, the most fascinating part of this conversation is actually not this conversation. It's the conversation that Chris then has with Caitlin, where Caitlin says to Chris kind of the same sentiments that Chris just said to Courtney, which is... (laughs) Chris comes to Caitlin and says, you know, it's killing her how upset Courtney is and the way that she's dealing with all of this and how it's still affecting her. And Caitlin makes the same point Chris just made, which is, you know, it's been 20 years. Like it's been a very long time for Courtney to still be holding this level of resentment against you. And Chris snaps back at Caitlin and says something along the lines of, I don't care if it's been 20 years or 20 minutes. Like if my daughter is hurting and my daughter is feeling it this deeply, then I'm obviously going to be upset and hurting as well. And I thought what was so interesting about it is it was this complete understanding of the situation to Caitlin and then this complete lack of the understanding in her conversation with Courtney. Totally. And it's a really good point. And I also think that something that I feel happens specifically when Chris and Courtney communicate is that it really is the type of interaction that could benefit from a third party. And I know later on we see Courtney going to therapy solo, but every time they're having a discussion like this, I always feel like they would probably just be able to see each other's point more if there was a facilitator there or a mediator there, because it's kind of like what Chris was saying with Chloe before of, you know, when she wants to go deep with her, if Chloe's not liking it, she tunes her out. It's not that Courtney tunes her out. It's that she kind of shuts it down and it doesn't allow for the conversation to progress. And so what's happening is that Chris is coming at it with deep emotion and passion. And obviously Courtney has a lot of emotion too, but she doesn't show it in the same way. So what ends up happening is like this really uneven reaction where they're both genuinely upset, but they 
just so struggling in their ability to talk about it. So then here, when Chris is talking about it with Caitlin, which again, was also a heated conversation, like I feel she's able to process it so much clearer than when she's directly conversing with Courtney. Well, what I think it is also is because of the way that Courtney speaks to Chris and the way that she can snap at Chris or make these digs at her is that whenever her and Chris have a conversation like that, Chris is automatically on the defensive. She has to defend herself from all of these things that Courtney is saying to her. And what Courtney is looking for without really showing it in the correct way or maybe giving Chris the opportunity to do so is an explanation from Chris or an apology or some sort of, you know, understanding that the two of them can come to. But what Chris does because of the way that Courtney's approaching her is immediately defend herself. And so exactly what she says to Caitlin when she doesn't have to defend herself, which is if my child is hurting, then I'm hurting. This is a decision that I made that affected our family. And the thing about decisions that affect your family is that you are still a family 25 years after the fact. And so it's always going to have an effect. That is not something that Chris is able to say to Courtney in the moment because her only response and her only mode is to immediately go into defending herself from whatever Courtney's throwing at her. Right, exactly. Which is why it's like you need a third unrelated party there in order to actually like get to the root of what's going on. Because what they're talking about is like something very substantial. And like, by the way, something that needs to be deep dived in therapy. And as I'm watching this, I can't believe that it hasn't. Like, how are we talking about this when Courtney is pregnant with her second child? And up until this point, there hasn't been a moment where they've really sat down with like a professional and gotten through to this because it's something that they both deserve that. No, I know. Anyway, this next scene when Courtney and Scott are kind of talking about all of this because Scott can tell something's off with Courtney, she doesn't really want to get into it. And what Scott basically says in his confessionals, like, I think Courtney being so closed off definitely affects our relationship a lot of times because she doesn't really ever want to get help from anybody. He's like, so it's tiring for me to always try to be getting something out of her when she's never really looking to release anything, which I wonder how much that like as a personality trait impacted their relationship negatively down the line. I'm definitely going to be more tuned into this as we keep watching. Cause like it was certainly something in terms of their relationship and the difficulty they had communicating about what was going on with each other. But like, this is separate. That's nothing to do with Scott. This is what's happening with Courtney internally, mentally, what is upsetting her and Scott feeling as though it's like pulling teeth to get it out of her. But I think what eventually that manifests into is him feeling really inadequate because he's unable to like help his partner through something because she won't open up to him about it. And that can create a whole other set of issues. Well, it's the inadequacy of not being able to get her to open up about it, but also it creates this power dynamic and this inadequacy in terms of Scott always has something, you know, Scott's always coming to Courtney with something or Scott's always doing something that Courtney then has to solve. And because Scott doesn't then get to provide that for her in the reverse, it creates this really big power dynamic in their relationship where it is always just Courtney solving Scott's problems. And I think that that then becomes really infantilizing for him where it's not just that Scott brings these problems on himself, which a lot of the times he does. It's even when Scott has things that he is upset about or things that he wants to talk about. He has no problem bringing that stuff up to Courtney, but I think it creates 
this very interesting dynamic between the two of them where Courtney is never giving him that in return. And I think that it took something that was a positive for Scott, which is his ability to communicate to Courtney what he needs, especially in times where it's not that he's doing something wrong and then made that a negative because it made him feel like he was then doing something wrong for even doing that in the first place. So it's like, oh, Courtney's the stable one. She never has anything to then bring to me. Yeah, which is like just simply unsustainable dynamic right. on both sides as right. Yeah. Uh, getting too much into that one. Uh, <laughs> anyway, okay. So we have the Chris and Caitlin scene we discussed. There's some Kendall and Kylie improvements in terms of Kylie feeling as though they're more of a team effort. And Courtney and Chloe are then on video chat. And Courtney is just filling in Chloe again how her and Chris cannot get along. And she's like, well, you guys never get along. And she goes, I know, but lately I've been even more mean and I can't help my attitude about it. And Chloe's suggesting how she thinks therapy could be helpful. And Courtney's saying, you know, that maybe could be true because when I went to therapy, I walked in hating Scott. And by the time I walked out, I liked him again. And she says in her confessional that when she was younger, her and Chris tried to go to therapy together and it was such a disaster, but maybe it's not such a bad idea for her to go alone and kind of talk it out with her therapist about what's going on with Chris, which interesting note here, because obviously that was something that happened pre-cameras, but I guess they did attempt therapy together. Right. I was just about to say, there's your answer. Right. I mean, obviously the therapy she's talking about was pre-cameras, but I do just wonder, and it's not content I ever expect to get, nor would have expected, even if cameras were rolling at this time, I definitely would consider that to be very invasive if you are either of them, but talk about something I am so deeply curious about how it went down. Oh, me too. Anyway, so Courtney decides post her conversation with Chloe that she is going to attempt to talk to Erica, her therapist. And she walks in and says, listen, the last time we spoke, it was all about Scott, but I felt so much better about him after. And I've really been giving my mom such an attitude and I feel guilty about it. And what her therapist Erica is saying is that with mother-daughter relationships, there's often this inherent competition, even if you don't mean it to be there. And that there can sometimes be this hypersensitivity to being mean to Chris. Now that Courtney knows that she's having a daughter and there's no stronger bond or attachment between the mother and daughter. Which I think that point really hit for Courtney in a way that she probably couldn't even fathom how much it was going to hit until Penelope was born. But what Courtney is explaining to Erica is that obviously her parents got divorced because Chris had an affair. And she's just saying how this book is really bringing up issues. And now that she has kids, she knows that she could never do that to her kids. And she really starts to break down. And we see Courtney kind of get uncharacteristically emotional here. And what she's saying is that now more than ever, she really can't understand Chris's decision and the whole thing's just really been bothering her. And she's like, I don't care about Chris writing in the book and people knowing about it. I just think about Ra being the same age that Mason is now and me knowing that I could never do that, which I think there's so much here because it's like up until this point, not saying that she was rationalizing Chris's actions because she wasn't, there was obviously so much anger she had towards her, but at least she couldn't say like, I know what it's like. It's what we were saying earlier. Now she's like, I now feel like I know exactly what it's like. And because I so hard can't relate, it makes me resent her even more than I did previously. Well, I think what's really interesting is what we were saying in the beginning of the episode is like, you know, Courtney has these moments where she's so consciously aware of what she's doing and then consciously aware of the fact that she's doing it despite how it makes her feel. I think actually what's happening is that Courtney is so thrown off by how it's making her feel, which is a result of having kids and a result of her pregnancy, which is, I'm so used to being mean to my mom. I'm so used to making these digs at her and coming after her for certain things. What I'm not used to is feeling guilty about it after the fact. Right, right. And I think Erica makes a really good point there. 
in terms of just like acknowledging that mother-daughter bond and how she knows she's embarking on that journey, obviously. Oh, definitely. Anyway, so there are a couple of other filler scenes here. One of the things that's been going on this whole episode is Caitlin pranking Kim with spiders. And so Kim getting Brandon Jenner on board and Kim Scott and Brandon Jenner pranking Caitlin by pretending to steal Kim's Ferrari that Caitlin is driving, which like is one of my favorite pranks they've done. Anyway, the episode concludes with all of them at Chris's house and Chris telling Courtney, you know, I decided to buy your shower gift early. I went to Fred Siegel. I went a little crazy. And you can tell Courtney's not really excited about the gift. And she's saying she appreciates what Chris is giving her, but she feels like it's always her solution to buy their affection with gifts. And she's like, I just want to have an honest conversation with her so that we can move on and put it behind her. And so Courtney tells Chris about going to therapy and realizing that it's more stuff within herself that she needs to heal. And Chris says in her confessional, out of all of my children, Courtney is the one that expresses herself the least and keeps everything locked inside. And she's saying that she had no idea that something from her behavior in the past would have such a profound effect on Courtney's behavior today. And she's like, I'm just so happy that she's opening up about it. And what Chris says to Courtney in that moment is, I don't really expect a lot. I just want to be loved. And I think you would want the same thing from your life. And Courtney's like, listen, there's baby steps that need to be taken. And I'm going to work on communicating more what I'm annoyed about instead of just giving you an attitude, which if you're Chris is like the most progress. It's such a crazy line for Chris to say, I can't believe something I did 25 years ago had such an effect on Courtney today. Like (laughs) what? Yeah. Like that, that is, that is what parenthood is. Yeah. It's like, you kind of missed the point a little bit there, but, but, but if Courtney's willing to move on here in this conversation, then we are too. We definitely are. I mean, the fact that they're even discussing this in depth in this way and Courtney's filling her in on her therapy session, like that feels like a huge progression from the beginning of the episode. Oh, absolutely. We will continue to watch this unfold because I got news for you. It's still unfolding. We are in season three of Hulu Kardashians and this dynamic is still very much at play at various times. Oh, definitely. Yeah. But anyway, we have a lot more of season seven to go. We're kind of just zooming on right along. Is there anything else you would like to mention? I think that's it. I can't wait for the rest of the season. Oh, me too. I think that's it. We love you guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for letting us do this. And we will see you next week. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like, Generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract, and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like You shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.